You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Russian hackers are free-spirited patriotic artists, says a man in a position to know. WikiLeaks dumps more Vault 7 documents. White Hats reconsider crowdsourcing membership in the Exploit of the Month Club. Ocean Lotus may be weaponizing a shadow broker's leak. Fireball malware used for ad fraud. A think tank warns of Royal Navy submarine cyber vulnerabilities. Kmart discloses a point-of-sale breach. And a motorcycle gang is hacking cars. Why? Because that's the way they roll. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 2nd, 2017. Russia's President Vladimir Putin says he has no knowledge of anyone hacking U.S. elections. He does speculate that, well, sure, it stands to reason there could have been some patriotic freelancers out there, hacker weight unspecified, who were hitting American networks. But that's just standing up for the motherland and rooting for good old Vlad Putin as who wouldn't. Hackers are free spirits, Mr. Putin observed, just like artists, and after all, it's a free country, and so on. Besides, all he knows is what he reads in the papers. Elsewhere in the ongoing conflict in cyberspace, WikiLeaks yesterday released its latest tranche of Vault 7 material. The latest dump deals with an alleged CIA implant, Pandemic, said to be used to establish patient zero machines on networks. Hacker Fantastic and Zors have shuttered their crowdfunded attempt to buy an early look at the Shadow Broker's next exploit dump. Their hope was to have done and shared some quick remediation, but it's just too risky from a legal point of view. Sophos advises all against subscribing to the Broker's Exploit of the Month Club, saying, quote, would-be subscribers should ask themselves the following before diving in. What are you going to do if they don't deliver? Ask for a refund? Report them to the ombudsman? End quote. Customer service just isn't what it used to be, especially in black market clubs. Ocean Lotus, also known as APT-32, the threat group associated with the Vietnamese government that's giving Philippine sites difficulty as the two countries squabble over economic and sovereign rights in the South China Sea, is believed to be working to reverse engineer and weaponize Odd Job, an earlier shadow broker's dump. Security company Checkpoint reports the discovery of Fireball, a malware campaign said to have infected about 250 million computers worldwide. Fireball lets its masters execute code on victim machines and to manipulate web traffic to generate ad revenue. Despite some spyware functionality, the chief motivation here seems to be fraud. Checkpoint says the Beijing digital marketing agency Rafotech is behind Fireball. The British-American Information Security Council think tank warns with a degree of alarmism that the Royal Navy's Trident missile submarines are in principle vulnerable to cyber attack. Sure, the boats are air-gapped while submerged. Hey, they'd better be. 
But the study argues that's not the point. The sub-supply chains are vulnerable, as are the patches and upgrades they receive in port. The UK's Defence Secretary Michael Fallon last month declined to comment on whether the submarines used Windows XP and were therefore vulnerable to WannaCry, but that shouldn't necessarily be interpreted as a non-denial denial. It would have been irresponsible to comment publicly on a matter affecting technology used by strategic systems, and besides, the question is a complex one. Windows XP is very unlikely to have been used out of the box in any significant IoT system. We received some notes on the WannaCry episode from Cytelix in response to our question about why old and vulnerable instances of Windows have remained in such widespread use. They told the CyberWire there are many reasons why this is so. Quote, a variety of costs and obstacles contribute to persisted use of outdated systems. Some companies lack the financial or technical resources to update their systems accordingly, while others believe the older systems are more stable. New systems are often rolled out with various bugs. Some companies operate under the adage of, if it's not broken, don't fix it. While we would consider outdated security patches as contributing to a system that needs repair, not every IT team has the resources to understand and evaluate information security. They might be of the opinion that if their systems keep them productive, there is no reason to alter them, especially if an upgrade is expensive, from either a financial standpoint or in terms of the time spent implementing. The Chipotle breach earlier this week served as a reminder that point-of-sale attacks are still very much with us. Another retailer, Kmart, has also disclosed a customer data breach. Credit card data were exposed to hackers in the second such breach in three years. Kmart's parents, Sears Holding, says their investigation determined that no personally identifiable information was compromised, but that some credit card numbers were. A Sears spokesman also said the infection was undetectable by antivirus software. High-tech Bridges' Ilya Kolichenko thinks the talk about antivirus is misdirection. Quote, Payment systems should be thoroughly isolated and restrict any third-party code or applications from running on them. Apparently, such fundamental precautions were at least partially missing. End quote. He also says big enterprises can't rely on basic security solutions like antivirus software if they're not designing security into their systems from the start. Finally, those of you who've been following the increasing commodification of cybercrime, crimeware, DDoS and ransomware as a service, won't be surprised to learn that a bunch of denim-jacketed one-percenters have now roared into cyberspace astride their hogs. Yes, it's the Hooligans Motorcycle Gang, known for riding between Tijuana and San Berdu. At least one outlaw biker club has apparently branched out from meth distribution and cigarette smuggling to enter the IoT hacking game. Three members of the Dirty 30, a subunit of the Hooligans, have got themselves arrested by the FBI on charges of boosting more than 150 Jeep Wranglers. Nine more suspects remain at large, and there are other people the authorities would like to meet, too. The hooligans allegedly stole the jeeps by hacking into a proprietary database containing replacement key codes, then syncing a replacement key code by connecting to a given vehicle's onboard diagnostic system. The Bureau called their investigation Operation Last Ride, and they've been after the Dirty 30 since 2015. The feds, they are nothing if not patient. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Uh, Jonathan uh, saw an article on InfoWorld that uh, was encrypted communications could have an undetectable backdoor. What are we talking about here? Well, uh, some researchers showed that there will be ways to generate parameters uh, for Diffie-Hellman key exchange, which is used uh, very often on the Internet and uh, also used in HTTPS. Uh, and they could generate these parameters in such a way that they had a backdoor in them. And that backdoor would allow anybody uh, knowing the backdoor to be able to break the security of, that, uh, of any uh, communication channel set up using those parameters. But the backdoor was also undetectable. So they were using, uh, they described it as being hard-coded primes. What does that mean? Yeah, what they did was, so, so, so Diffie-Hellman parameters uh, rely on uh, prime numbers, uh, at least the non-elliptic curve variants of Diffie-Hellman. And uh, what the researchers showed was that by um, uh, picking primes in a particular way and embedding those into the Diffie-Hellman parameters, they were able to break the key exchange protocol using those parameters much more quickly than you would expect if those primes were chosen at random. So is this something that we're seeing in the real world yet, or, or is this uh, so far uh, just in the lab? Well, we have no evidence that this has been carried out in the real world, but I guess we also have no evidence that it hasn't been. So the, 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 I think the point the researchers were making is that the, this kind of a trapdoor uh, might be present in some parameters that people are using. Uh, we have no way of knowing either way, but there's, a, I guess, always a possibility that it could have been done at some point in time. And these were, we're talking about uh, 1024-bit keys, uh, but they were saying that uh, taking it up to 2048-bit keys would uh, obviously take it to another degree of difficulty. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, you still have a possibility that these trapdoors would make it easier to break uh, even the 2048 version than, than you would expect. But it's definitely true. Uh, I mean, anyway, there are recommendations uh, for other reasons to start moving toward 2048-bit keys. But, uh, but yeah, that's definitely true that it would be harder to carry out this kind of attack on the longer key. All right. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Leo Taddeo. He's the Chief Information Security Officer at Sixterra Technologies, a company that provides secure infrastructure. Our conversation centered on the tension between advocates of privacy and strong encryption and those who believe law enforcement has legitimate needs to be able to access encrypted data. We began our discussion reflecting on the recent firing of FBI Director Comey. I think we lost an advocate for the debate over encryption. Uh, Jim Comey, of course, as a law enforcement officer, had his own views on whether or not the government uh, should have access to um, secure devices, whether that was through encrypted data at rest or data in motion. Uh, But the encryption problem in general, uh, according to Director Comey, was something that the country needed to debate, and it wasn't for the FBI to decide. But he did want the country to debate uh, whether or not law enforcement had the tools necessary to continue to do its mission. I think we lost an advocate with uh, Mr. Comey. Uh, His departure means that uh, the next director uh, will have to decide whether to pick up the mantle, if you will, and uh, try to raise the issue and try to get Congress to address it. Um, there There are some technological challenges to law enforcement and how law enforcement can do its job. And unless addressed, um, technology will continue to outpace traditional capabilities that law enforcement has today. Director Comey was different from the directors of, say, the NSA and the CIA, where they were more pro-encryption and he was more skeptical of it. Right. Well, they have slightly different missions. Uh, Director Comey's mission is focused on primarily a law enforcement function. There are some intelligence uh, authorities within the FBI, and we do have components of our mission that uh, involve national security. But for the most part, encryption uh, was an obstacle, and it continues to be an obstacle to the day-to-day work of FBI agents. Uh, That's different than, uh, say, the NSA or uh, um, CIA Department of Defense and some of their roles where they can use different authorities to break encryption um, and may have better capabilities, to be frank. So the FBI is limited in what it can use, and it can't use state-of-the-art techniques and tools because they wouldn't be state-of-the-art for very long. Uh, Once exposed in court during a prosecution, those tools would no longer be available. So we have slightly different authorities than uh, NSA and CIA and DOD, and those authorities uh, change the way we look at the problem. At the end of the day, if a technique or tool is required to be disclosed to a defendant, um, then that technique or tool uh, no longer becomes effective. And that's not a problem that NSA or uh, the other intelligence services has. 
you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks on the technology side of the encryption debate, and uh, they look at this, I, I believe, partially as a practical issue where, um, you know, encryption is readily available. It's not hard to do strong encryption. And when we're talking about things being done across borders, they make the point that um, it's not really a practical thing that you can stop. I agree with all of that, that strong encryption is easy to deploy. It's becoming uh, part of everyday devices. Um, the question is, how strong does it need to be, in my mind? And uh, there's a debate about whether we need perfect security. So I look at it this way. We have to use encryption that is designed to address the threat that we face. So if we're trying to counter criminal groups who are stealing data, then uh, you don't need uh, AES-256 unbreakable cryptology, uh, you, you can perhaps uh, use a, a different uh, algorithm or perhaps deploy it uh, in a different way that allows law enforcement with considerable resources and access to the device to obtain the evidence that it needs to complete its mission. So if you're trying to prevent a nation state from accessing your device, then you must be in a pretty small category because it's not often that nation states go after individuals. So I think we can address that problem on a case-by-case -case basis. So, for example, a CEO that uh, might have intellectual property or, or sensitive business information on his or her cell phone, we can make strong encryption available to them. But the day-to-day -day ubiquitous deployment of strong encryption means that your average person has what is, in effect, government-proof communications capability. And in a world where we are seeing people with access to, I won't say weapons of mass destruction, but certainly weapons that can cause mass casualties and the propensity for people to use those weapons, whether it's a rifle or we've seen recently a truck, we have to balance the risk and reward, if you will, of strong encryption. So what I mean by that is, in my view, we have to have a balancing. If the privacy advocates of which I consider myself one in part, uh, but not as I don't go as far as some uh, some groups. If privacy advocates are worried about government overreach, that is a threat. But so is the idea that there may be a mass shooting or a mass casualty event involving uh, what we've seen, for example, in Europe and other places. And the real threat there is on the ground and present. Um, it's not theoretical. And I think that we have to balance the real threat with the potential for threat. And that means strong oversight for the government, uh, strong auditing of government use of the techniques, but also an understanding that in many cases, the government is the only thing standing between us and potentially great harm. So I don't think it's all or nothing. And my bottom line is we have to find some way to come to a acceptable compromise between privacy concerns and legitimate law enforcement requirements. And we're not there yet. That's Leo Taddeo from Sixterra Technologies. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.